In this episode, we're going to take a step back together and really assess what we've been doing as songwriters and our perspective as songwriters to make sure that we haven't lost sight of the most core important part of what a song needs to do. Make sure we haven't gotten too enamored with all the tips and tricks and all the cool stuff we can do and smart moves we can make as songwriters. And we haven't fallen too in love with that stuff that we've lost sight of what's really important. And we're going to talk about it in light of the idea of the bad but clever songwriter. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I am your host as usual, as always. I don't know why I said as usual. Like, has there ever been an exception? No, there has not. But uh, anyway, uh, Joseph Vidala, in case you're curious, I know so many of you are just dying to know who, what is the name of the person talking to me? But uh, to this episode, we are going to be talking about the bad but clever songwriter. Before we dive in, though, if you haven't already, be sure to check out my free guide on 10 different ways to start writing a song. Whether you're new to songwriting or a seasoned vet, it will help you. If you're new to songwriting, well, it gives you 10 different ways to start writing a song so that you can get started if you're sort of fi- trying to figure out, like, where okay, where do I start? What, what should I do? Well, how about 10 different ways, 10 different things to do to start songs? Um... And if you're a seasoned veteran, it can help you break outside of that box that I know we all can find ourselves in. For me, the trap, the box, if you will, that I can get into is to just start a song with sitting at the piano, coming up with a piano riff, and figuring out a melody on top of that, doing that over and over and over again. That certainly is my bread and butter. It's probably my overall main sound, if you will, is usually gotten from that process. But... Sometimes it starts to lose its luster and it starts to feel like, ah, the songs start to sound the same if I do it too much over and over and over again. And for a lot of a lot of us, you perhaps, uh, the trap is usually something like the acoustic guitar, right? Get get grabbing the acoustic guitar, doing a chord progression, and then humming the melody on top. And it's the same idea, right? It's easy to get stuck in the one main way to write a song. Don't do that. Be sure to break outside that box. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Your creativity will be reinvigorated, which I think is my personal favorite part. There's something about, like, for example, because one of the tips is to basically, you know, do a totally different sound that you haven't done before. So, for example, uh, you know, get your recording software out. Use your keyboard, and instead of using a keyboard or piano sound, do an organ sound, right? It inspires you totally differently. I've actually done that recently uh, and started writing several songs that the basis of the song is actually the organ because it totally just fired me up because I hadn't written with that before, and I love the sound of an organ. Uh, it's, it's pretty different. It's cool. It's got an epic vibe to it, which I'm, I'm big on epic. I like epic stuff. So... Uh, it really just reinvigorated me creatively. Um, so anyway, if you want a part of that, be sure to check out the free guide. It's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. That's songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Link should be in the description for the podcast. But the bad but ble- but <laughs> the bad but blever. The bad but clever songwriter. To illustrate sort of what I'm talking about, 
we're going to go back to a little story from college for me. If you've been a listener for a while, you probably know that I am a software developer. And usually a software developer is a result of going to college and getting a, what's usually called a computer science major. Or, uh, you know, some colleges software development major, some are software engineering major. It's all the same. Different names. Because God forbid they pick a name and stick with it. Um, So, something about those classes that they pretty much all had in common was that the textbooks were terrible. And yes, this is related to what we're talking about. This is not just a random story, in case you're wondering. Trust me here. The textbooks were terrible. Anytime you read from the textbook, it felt like the authors cared more about sounding smart than actually communicating the material in an understandable manner. And I always thought to myself, for what? So we're impressed by your intelligence? Because it really, it really sounded like they were, they, they could have chosen a simple way to explain it so that it took me five minutes to understand a concept. Instead, they made it into, you know, half of a chapter, used a bunch of huge, big words, and also used words that they hadn't defined yet, you know, that were like, okay, if I were a seasoned software developer already, I might understand what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm a college student. I don't know anything yet. Please treat me as such, right? And so it always felt like they made it about them, about them sounding smart, and totally missed the mark, which is funny because even while I was in those classes, I don't think I could have told you a single author name of any textbook ever. Like, who cares? Nobody cares about, like... Oh, I'm a big fan of so-and-so who writes textbooks. Like said, nobody ever, right? Like, n- nobody cares. So it makes it extra annoying that they seem to care about whether we thought they were smart or not. Which, by the way, I didn't think they were smart because I thought, wow, they're they're both selfish and dumb because apparently they're not smart enough to communicate in a way that makes any sense at all to any of us to the point that the textbooks were notoriously basically useless. Um... Uh, but also, they're pretentious enough and selfish enough to, to you know, seem to not give a rip about actually teaching. And some of you right now are saying, huh, sounds familiar, because I don't understand a word you're saying, Joseph. End podcast, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but anyway, how does this connect? Well, it connects in that, I would argue, at the end of the day, they were terrible teachers slash writers of the books because they didn't accomplish the main goal of the textbook. At the end of the day, the goal of a textbook is to help you learn something. So if the textbook is ineffective at helping students learn, it's a garbage textbook. It doesn't matter how many big words you use. It doesn't matter how many pretty pictures you may or may not have, which, by the way, if it's an engineering textbook, the amount of pretty pictures they have is zero. They also usually do black and white, not even color. Like, at least give me some blues or reds. Nope. Can't have that. We don't believe in fun. Meanwhile, stupid biology textbooks are, like, full color and pinks and purples and blues everywhere. Anyway, 
not important. So similarly, the end goal of our music fundamentally, and this is true of all art, is to communicate with the other humans that are looking upon or listening to or whatever they're doing to interact with our art. So in our case, listening to. At the end of the day, if we can't make that human connection, if people don't understand what we're talking about, if people don't feel the song, right? If it doesn't hit them somewhere emotionally, whether that be making them clap and feel joy, whether that be that they, you know, stop music after listening to your song because they have to ponder, you know, the meaning of life after what you just said, or, you know, it doesn't need to be that world's altering, but the idea is it should have some effect on the human at the other side, at the other end. If no one knows what our song is about, that should not be a mark of pride. And I say this because I've seen this more in music listeners than in any songwriters. Um, thankfully, but there's often this idea Right? It's, it's the classic, oh, you just don't get blank, right? Like, you go see a movie, and you are like, honestly, I thought it was kind of boring, and the characters didn't really make sense, and it felt like it was just trying too hard, and I, I didn't really follow what was going on in the story. And that one friend that insisted you go to this movie because the film festival said it was good or something. They say, oh, well, you just don't get what they're trying to say. And sometimes there's some, some validity to that, right? The reality is that in any art, there's, there's usually uh, it's sort of a two-way street, right? You can only get from a movie what you put into it to an extent, Right. Like, for, for example, uh, I feel bad for my wife because she's put in a weird position. I, I hate when you're put in this position. Maybe you can relate when you've seen a movie technically, but you saw the movie in a context where, you know, you weren't able to appreciate and really watch the movie and and ben- like really just see the movie in the way it was supposed to be seen. Right. So, for example, uh, for some reason, there are people over our house uh, it was my sister-in-law and her friends. They wanted to hang out at our house for whatever reason. Apparently, some people think I'm fun. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, um, and some apparently moron uh, thought it would be a good idea to, in a party context, watch Silence of the Lambs, um, which is a great movie. The problem is that when you're in a party scenario and everybody's just sort of talking over the movie and only half paying attention, Silence of the Lambs is not meant to be consumed that way, right? If you want to do that, do what, say, my friends and I did back in high school. We had what we called Bad Movie Fridays, which is a lot of fun. The whole premise was it was a movie that was just really bad, right? Not bad like inappropriate, bad like just hilariously bad. And the whole point was for us to talk and make fun of the movie. That was the fun. It was interacting with the movie. 
right? For Silence of the Lambs, it's got like a, a good, interesting plot and really scary character. You're meant to just consume the movie and pay attention to the movie. There's a lot of cool details, right? It's not meant to be consumed in a way. So, so you got to meet art in the middle. That's, that's the point that I'm trying to make here, right? So in that scenario, right, my wife watched it and she's kind of in a weird scenario now where it's like, well, I've seen the movie technically. So if I watched it again, it would feel like I'm watching it again. But I also didn't really get to see the movie, right? Which I don't blame her for, right? Some, some, somebody else made this decision, terrible decision. And so I'm just saying that to illustrate. I'm not, so that's not Silence of the Lambs' fault, right? That's the fault of the people who decided to watch the movie in that context. In the same way, if somebody doesn't get your lyrics because they're one of those people that doesn't listen to lyrics, like that's not your fault. Okay, it's none of our faults. That's not what I'm saying. So I hope that's not what you're hearing me say. Especially since I went on a relatively long rant to illustrate that I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, though, for people who are engaging with our song, it shouldn't be a mark of pride that our symbolism is so intricate that, that you, just, you just wouldn't get it. Right? You're just not smart enough to get it. Right? It's, what, it's like why everybody bailed on, or not everybody, but a lot of people hate on Rick and Morty. Which, by the way, I watched the first two seasons and enjoyed it. And then I just stopped watching it. You want to know why? Because I was so sick of the fans. Which has never happened with anything else before for me. But, like, the pretension was so ridiculous. About, like, oh, it's just, like, they, they treated anybody who didn't like it and didn't watch it like they were idiots. And they just weren't smart enough. Which is super funny to me, because half of the humor is not smart. Some of the humor is smart humor. The other half is like fart jokes and burp, burp jokes. Like, let's not pretend like it's this, oh, you need to be an intellectual genius to understand the show. You don't. Okay, I've watched You don't. Anyway, that's what we want to avoid, right? That, that pretension. And we want to avoid almost taking pride in people not connecting with our song, with not understanding our song. And nobody cares about, like, even though, I, again, I talk about these things. I think music theory is important. I've talked about, for example, how I wrote a song where I actually intentionally in the chorus didn't go to the one chord, which is fairly rare. Usually the chorus of all places is going to have the one chord to tell you this is the chorus. This is the main point. This is home. And to make it feel, you know, strong and epic. But I purposefully avoided it so that... In the bridge slash finale part, is sort of this part at the end, which was really the main point of the song, that's when I did the one chord. To make a point of the listener, in theory, sort of hears, like, something feels unresolved. I, like, this, this is the chorus, but, like, it feels like there's more. Well, that's because there was more. So I utilized understanding music theory in order to have that effect. So I'm all for that stuff. Right. And hey, if you're into different time signatures, like nine, seven time signature turning into 15, six or something crazy. Um, great. Fine. But the reality is at the end of the day, nobody cares about that. Right. No, nobody who's ever listened to my song ever, I don't think, cared about like, oh, you know what he did? He he didn't go to the one chord until the finale to to sort of give us this hint 
that like there's something more. And by the time the finale hits, it really feels like, oh yeah, this is the main part of the song. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the brilliance, right? Which is, again, not to say we shouldn't be smart about how we write songs. If you've been a listener for a while, you know, obviously I'm not telling you that. I think it's important to learn all these things. It's important to, you know, really learn your craft, know what you're doing. But what's also important is that we not lose sight. That at the end of the day, the job is to connect with the people listening. Because I just said nobody cares about your time signature changes or my avoiding using the one chord until a specific time to give a specific feeling. And that's true. Nobody cares about that. But you know what else people don't care about? People aren't going to care that your song has two chords. If it has two chords. In fact, I've done it intentionally sometimes to allow some of the other parts to uh, really flourish. I just let the chords be sort of the backdrop to the song um, and in a way that that the chords just weren't getting in the way. We won't dive too deep into that. But the point is that it can be true in the opposite direction, too. Right. Sometimes it's OK to have a song that is super simple. Right. In fact, it's usually good to have it not too complex It's usually good, um, but sometimes super simple. It's fine. Nobody cares. At the end of the day, what they care about and what you should care about is does this song connect with the people listening to it? Can it connect? Does it give them the opportunity to connect? Is it something worth connecting with? Right? Am I serving the song? And by serving the song first, you're serving yourself as a songwriter and the people listening. Because again, far be it from me to tell you to like... Well, the rules say that, like, people want you to get to the chorus in the first 30 seconds. So do that because it will help with pop radio. Like, who cares? How about we focus on writing a good song, right? Um, so a part of a good song, though, is that it connects with the listener. And frankly, if you learn nothing else from me, if this is your first and last podcast you listen to, or or if this is the 150th or 49th, whatever episode we're on, podcast that you listen to and you decide this one is your last for some reason, um, the main takeaway I want you to have is it's good to learn all these things that I teach, that other channels teach, that other podcasts teach. But at the end of the day... The thing, the one thing you just can't lose sight of, connecting with the people listening. It's the whole modern art debate, right? The whole modern abstract art debate. I hate it. And the reason I hate, well, there's many reasons I hate it. One is I'm still not convinced that like it looks like scribbles on a canvas. I'm not convinced that that didn't take them five minutes I also am very unconvinced that it means, like, I don't think it means anything. And if art doesn't mean anything, then it's meaningless art, and it's not really art at all. Art is meant to communicate. Also, it just ticks me off that, like, 
I don't know. <laughs> just, just the idea of like somebody could have had their kid scribble on a canvas and then say, hey, this is art. And because people thought that somebody that they had already deemed an artist did it, therefore it like meets the, the criteria of like, oh, this is art and it's worth tons of money and it's so deep and you should appreciate it. Like, no, no, I don't think it is. It's scribbles. It doesn't mean anything. Anyway, so <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I look at a piece of art and um, I, I feel confused and nothing else, I think, okay, it, it didn't do its job. And in some circumstances, I'm sure it's just that I'm not into art enough to get it. Right? Like, I don't get cubism. And I'm sure there's some level of like, yeah, I just, I'm not into it enough. But also at the end of the day, if you have a bunch of scribbles, maybe you're maybe what your art is, is not worth connecting to. Whereas another picture that is communicating a thousand words or 10,000 words even, and makes me stop and feel something and think something or ponder on something deeper in, you know, how our world works, the human condition, what it's really like to lose a child, right? Like, I don't know, whatever it is, it's doing its job. It made me stop and stare, and think about it. It gave me a feeling. It made me think. And that's, at the end of the day, what we should want to do. So clever, smart, isn't in and of itself bad. Again, I work very hard on doing smart things in music, and doing things musically and lyrically that might not be noticed, but are intentional and with purpose, you know, and I've said before in podcasts, take pride in putting a level of detail into things and thought into things that nobody will ever notice. Take pride in that, right? Like, don't worry about, for example, somebody commented recently, and I don't mean this disparagingly at all, but somebody commented recently something, they sound pretty frustrated about, like, that they agreed with me that lyrics should be important or are important, but that people just don't care about lyrics. And it frustrated them, which I feel, right? There's a lot of people who don't care about lyrics. My response to them was, A, who cares, right? Just if you're writing a good song, you should care about writing good lyrics. And B, you know, the people who are going to like your music are going to appreciate the fact that you do have good lyrics, right? Sure, the average consumer doesn't care about good mu music. The average consumer also is going to go to any remake of a terrible movie, like a terrible remake of an already not that good movie. And, you know, the, the movie will make millions upon millions of dollars at the box office, right? So, you know, but, but you also could make really good art, like the Dark Knight trilogy or something, and you know, also do really well and be able to take pride that you did something artistic and good. So we should strive for our art to be meaningful and intelligent. But sometimes if people just don't get it, it might be the artist, not the consumer. And we certainly shouldn't take pride in people just not getting it or not being quote-unquote smart enough to get it. We shouldn't take pride in that. Because maybe it's us. And we all can, can, can go astray a little bit here. That's why we're talking about it, right? I think even all of us, which I assume all of us to be well-intended, 
the well-meaning, right? Sometimes I get it. It's easy to get too, you know, enthused with like, oh, this new music theory concept that I'm going to add, right? I'm learning about modes and I'm going to use that in my song. And, you know, I, I, I learned about switching time signatures or this new time signature or like I haven't written a song in 5-4. I want to do that. That's cool. We can get so caught up in that that we lose track of like, again, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are all good things. As long as we don't lose track of, yeah, but does the song connect with somebody? Is somebody, is it worth connecting with this song? We shouldn't be offloading responsibility of the communication of art on the person consuming it. It's a two-way street. We got to make sure to meet them in the middle. We should strive to add depth, meaning, intelligence, philosophy, and more into our music and take pride in our art, both musically and lyrically. We should learn some music theory. Learn about lyric writing, symbolism, meter, rhyming, etc. Work on our music writing craft as well as utilize our music theory in our songwriting. We should do all those things and more. But we can't lose sight of our songs needing to connect with people at the end of the day. That's why I think one of my, one of my first 10 podcasts, uh, or maybe first 30, I don't know. Don't come after me if I got this number wrong. It's not important. I talked about what I what I believed I called the Christopher Nolan principle of songwriting. And it's this idea that, to me, what Christopher Nolan represents is the perfect hybrid between the pretentious side of art, right? Which is deep and meaningful, or at least says that it is, and quote-unquote consumer-friendly, right? The idea is Christopher Nolan is right in that realm where it's not pretentious, right? You can go, if you are not, if you're the type of person who just likes Marvel movies and doesn't care about, like, deep, interesting plots and good characters, you just, like, want to see Iron Man punch some people and it looks cool, and you're like enthused, right? And you're just entertained, right? And that's all you're looking for. If you're that person, you're, you're going to like Christopher Nolan. But also, if you're the person who goes to the Keynes Music Festival or whatever the heck it's called, I don't know how you say it. I just, whatever. One of those music, or sorry, I said music, movie festival. Is it Keynes? Whatever. If you're the person who goes to movie festivals, right? And you know all the like, the movies that are getting Oscar buzz, right? And you care about that stuff. And you think, you know, you think the Oscars are... Oscars, right? Yeah. You know, you care about that stuff. So, that person is also going to like Christopher Nolan, generally. Because Christopher Nolan has found this beautiful area of movie making where it is deep, meaningful, well-crafted art, but also isn't too busy being pretentious about it. It isn't too busy being, you just wouldn't get it, man. It also kicks butt and is entertaining. 
it's the perfect blend of both. That's why basically everybody loves Nolan. Because no matter where you are on the spectrum, you will like it. He just makes great stuff. And it's not pretentious, and it's not just enjoyable, but shallow. He's in that perfect, perfect realm where he has both. Accessible, something that many people can enjoy and get something from, but also deeply artistic. And I think that's what we should shoot for. So that's why I did that podcast so long ago. And that's sort of the, the core idea of this podcast. too. At the end of the day, we want to make sure to strive to hopefully be sort of the Christopher Nolans of songwriting. I'm not saying be as, you know, rich and popular and, you know, successful commercially as he is. I just mean that our attitude towards songwriting, finding that balance where we're not making pretentious stuff and we're not getting too caught up in how brilliant and how smart our music is and thinking, you know, people just don't get it, don't appreciate it for its, its intelligence or something, right? We, we, we don't want to be that. Uh, but, you know, also probably don't want to sell out totally and just be like, oh, uh, the pop rules say that I should get to the chorus by 30 seconds and now people's attention spans say that we shouldn't have songs four minutes long anymore. So I'm going to make sure all my songs are three minutes because people will get bored. Like, nope, 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 nope. Who cares? What is what what is right for the song? And the right people, the right people are still going to like your music. If all your songs are 10 minutes long, for a good reason, there are people out there that will love it for that. So serve the song first. Don't be a bad but clever songwriter. Be a good songwriter. Clever is fine. Clever can be good. Smart is good. Not at the cost of connecting. Hopefully this was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to leave an iTunes review if you feel like you can give it five stars. And by iTunes review, I mean Apple Podcast. I always say that wrong. Um... So be sure to leave an Apple podcast review if this resonated with you or if you've appreciated podcasts in the past. If you feel like you can't give it five stars, um, but you are still a listener or you plan to listen to more, then uh, be sure to shoot me an email, joseph at songwritertheory.com. Or even if you're a person, honestly, that is like, yeah, I'm never going to listen to another podcast again, feel free to email me as well. Uh, let me know how I can improve, how I can earn five stars from you. Uh, you know, let me know because my goal is to improve and to serve you better. And I would rather people not tank the the Apple podcast rating because then that won't give me the opportunity to in the sense that, you know, more people won't give it a shot. Um, so please don't take the, the Apple podcast rankings. I ask you. Um, but also I don't want you to lie, right? So if you don't feel it deserves five stars, then Hey, don't give it to it. If you feel it does, I would really appreciate you going out and telling people, telling the world, if not, tell me how to improve so that I can earn five stars from you. Hopefully someday. Um, I do appreciate all of you. I know that a lot of you have been, that the reviews have picked up again here recently. 
I really appreciate that. Last I checked, there's like 46 of them now, um, which is still a lot less than the amount of people who are listening. Um, that's okay. I still love all of you. Uh, I just love the people who left reviews a little bit more. Just kidding. <laughs> but I do I do really appreciate those of you who did take the time. I know it takes some time out of your day. It should only take two or three minutes. But I do understand that, hey, it's a busy, busy world. If you took the time out of your day to do that, that's just awesome and means a lot to me. So I want to make sure you do know I do appreciate and I read them too. And it warms my heart when I hear the kind words that a lot of you have said. But otherwise, hopefully this was helpful to you. Again, if you haven't already, be sure to download that free guide, 10 different ways to start writing a song. Again, it's at songwritertheory.com slash free guide. It'll teach you 10 different ways to start writing songs, five from a lyrical standpoint, five from a musical standpoint for people who are lyrics first or music first. And also, if you're one of those and you religiously do one over the other, I would recommend trying the other. So there'll be five different ways for you to do that. Be sure to check that out. Again, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Link should be in the description. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I will talk to you next time.